Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. This is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. For a long time, my winery, Centralis, has been the sole sponsor for the Organic Wine Podcast. In considering sponsorship options, I've rejected the most common possibilities in order to stay true to my values and the ecological approach I try to promote with each episode. I'm pretty picky, I guess you could say. I want any sponsors that I bring on to meet the same kind of standards that I have for my guests. That is, I want them to be companies that uphold the values of this podcast and toe the line ecologically, and to attempt to make the world a better place, ideally. I finally met a couple potential sponsors that not only fit well with this podcast, but whose services I think can genuinely improve the quality of your life. First, I'm thrilled to tell you about Catavino Tours. Catavino Tours provides luxury travel, wine, and food tours in Portugal and Spain. And rather than reading a script about them, I asked the founder, Ryan Opaz, to answer a few questions for me. Ryan, it's really great to introduce you to folks. Could you talk a little bit about who you are and what Catavino is? Definitely. Thanks for having me. I'm Ryan Opaz. I run a company called Catavino Tours. It was born out of 15 years of writing about Spanish and Portuguese wine while living in Spain and Portugal. Today I live in Porto, the capital of the north of Portugal, where I run a luxury food and wine-focused travel company. And we focus a lot on the farm to table, natural wine producers, organic wine producers, sustainable travel as best we can, knowing that travel can sometimes not be so sustainable. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that because shouldn't we all be flying less? I mean, how does tourism in general fit into the lives of those of us who are, are trying to reduce our carbon footprint? That's a great question and one I've been struggling with for quite a few years. It was about three to four years ago that we took on some offices in downtown Porto where we installed a tasting room and a natural and organic wine shop. And as that shop grew and and I started to become more and more vested in the industry, at least this side of the industry, let's say, I realized there's a lot of things in wine that's not so sustainable, including tourism. And it has been a struggle running a company to keep a clean conscience. And I won't say that I've successfully figured that out, but we are this year working on a plan to reduce all of the carbon footprint of all of our tours, including using some very well-vetted and well-researched offsetting tools. But more importantly, we're working to create tours that we believe not only are fun, enjoyable, and a good time, but they also help people to learn a little bit more about the planet and how they can help take care of it. So I believe as much as it's hard to say as somebody who owns a travel business, I do hope that we as a society taken up the quality of our travel experiences and lower the amount of them. That can be by taking longer trips and going deeper. It can be taking less trips, long distance and more local trips. But I think what we can offer somebody who makes their one trip a year, hopefully abroad, the long haul flight, we hope that we can make that trip something that you're going to get more out of than just a little bit of relaxation and a few nice glasses of wine. You might learn a little bit. You'll have the opportunity to meet people with new perspectives. You meet the locals. You taste the local foods, local wines. You learn a little bit about the culture so that you can go back and hopefully make a small difference wherever you are in the world. And in that way, hopefully make things a little bit better for everyone. Thanks. That's actually a really great answer. You're probably one of the few people who have a tourism business that would say to travel less. So I think that's what I like about you, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you. 
If you're considering a wine tour in Portugal and Spain and want to have that experience be more meaningful and conducted by a company who is thoughtful about their ecological impact, check out Catavino Tours by going to catavinotours.com slash OWP for Organic Wine Podcast. That's C-A-T-A-V-I-N-O tours.com slash O-W-P. And your tour will not only benefit you, but this podcast as well. I'll list that link in the show notes as well. Thank you for being thoughtful about your travel. And they are currently booking for their October harvest experience with sustainable and natural wineries. So check that out. My guest for this episode is Mike Apollo, and he tells us all about how he is growing a no-spray vineyard in New Hampshire, less than an hour from Boston. Yes, I said no spray. You may have heard it's impossible. You may smugly reject the possibility of success, but Mike is growing wine grapes in New England without sprays and has been for over a decade at his estate winery, Apollo Vineyards. Apollo Vineyards was just this month named New Hampshire's first winery in the Sustainable Craft Beverage Recognition Program. After listening to this interview, I think you'll agree that it's a well-deserved honor. Mike is growing wine grapes in a place where summers are hot and humid, winters can be brutal, and wild turkeys are one of the birds that regularly eat your grapes. It's also a place of beautiful wines. Listen closely to what Mike says, but also what's behind what he says. There's something rock steady about Mike. He seems undaunted by the numerous challenges inherent in what he's doing. I think this is guided in part by a humility and an openness to learning, both from other vintners and from nature itself. Another part of this is valuing the legacy that he is building. It's a legacy of valuing the life and health of his world over easy profit. And he's showing that it's not only possible, but delicious. Enjoy. Mike, welcome. Thank you so much for this conversation. Looking forward to it. Me too, Adam. Thanks for inviting me. Well, could you just start by saying where you are and what's it like outside where you are right now? Oh, actually, it's a pretty warm day. Uh, oh, pretty diverse nice. weather. We're, we're uh, uh, it's about 50 degrees, but it's not typically that temperature here. I'm 35 miles north of Boston, so we're in southern New Hampshire, about okay. I would say seven or eight miles from the border, from the southern nice. border of New Hampshire. Yeah. yeah. Um, Apollo Vineyards is is what you is where you are. Is that right? Are you at the vineyards? Are you at the winery? Yeah. Yeah. So I live okay. on the property. It's a 200 plus year old farm that I bought in 2001. And um, at that point, it hadn't been a farm in a lot, since the 70s or so. And, there, and at that point, there were a bunch of animals were, uh, and so on on the farm, all kinds of plants, all kinds of things grown here. And um, in the interim, there just had been some horses, goats, and chickens, not much more than that. Lovely. And I, I'll just tease a little bit where we'll head with this conversation, but we, we met at Vitanord, and I think just in the course of chatting and meeting people, what I do and what I what my values are with this podcast and everything, sort of, I probably said something about that. I don't know if you remember better than I do, but you were uh, immediately like, oh, well, I'm doing a no-spray vineyard in New Hampshire, and I was immediately like, I would love to talk more about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... And, uh, you know, it's no secret that uh, this is, you know, the direction that I think all agriculture should head. I think it's like, you know, where agriculture always always was for millennia until the modern era, until the last century, really. And uh, we figured out how to do it for, you know, thousands and thousands of years. And and suddenly now we're we're um, 
uh, I don't know, I guess, uh, addicted to chemicals, but um, you are not. And, and I want to get into that in a little bit, but since you brought up getting this farming, what, what was that inspiration? What, I, I, were you working in Boston and just wanted to get out or, or are you from New Hampshire area? What was, what inspired getting, getting this farm and, and uh, you know, that move in your life? Uh, well, I, uh, there's, there's a bit more history to it than that. I ah, okay. grew, grew up in Pennsylvania and oh, I, I was always growing things. I helped my grandmother in the, in the, uh, garden and she, she had nut trees and all kinds of things. She grew tomatoes and, you know, all kinds of, uh, things for the table. And, uh, from, I grew up, it's kind of Northeastern Pennsylvania near the Scranton area. And, uh, from there I went off to college and got a uh, an undergraduate degree in engineering and uh, was commissioned a second lieutenant in the air force so i started traveling at that point when i went active duty and so in 1989 i moved to uh, southwest germany and lived there until uh, the fall of 92 where uh. i got to know about wine uh. and so i knew nothing about the whole wine culture knew nothing about how wine was grown, how wine was made until I was in that, uh, in, in your living in Europe and kind of a pivotal point in history when you know, the Berlin wall fell, when the, when yeah. the uh, operation Desert storm was going on and so on. And from, from there, I moved to Colorado Springs for a couple of years and in what was happening in 1992 through 1994, that I lived in Colorado Springs, there were a whole bunch of craft breweries opening. Oh, so yeah. they were opening up, uh, that was one of the uh, key places there were. Uh, when I left the Air Force, I decided to move to New Hampshire because I thought it was a lovely place to live. I thought I wanted to raise a family here. And uh, I remember visiting as a teenager and then uh, several different times for different reasons. Uh, one was uh, to deliver potato chips with my stepfather. And the next time I was installing computer networks at the same places uh, for wise potato chips. Huh. And <laughs> I don't know that we can use a brand on here, but no, that's <laughs> fine. Uh, it's a and so, brand, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so, um, and, and that um, potato chip plant was in the same town that my grandmother lived in, in Pennsylvania, uh, yeah. it's called Berwick. And uh, so I thought, uh, you know, Hampshire's a nice place. I got a job with a, a government contractor in Boston and moved to New Hampshire and quickly realized uh, the commute was terrible. Mm. So, uh, I went to work for a software company here for the next 20 years. And oh, wow. towards the end of that time, I, I uh, had originally planted a bunch of fruit trees on this property and then moved them around the property to make them more decorative because there are a lot of, uh, they're not very sensitive. Uh, there are very sensitive to especially mildews and, um, wow. apple scab and things like that. So I uh, moved those around, but grapes it turned out that uh, grapes were not as uh, susceptible, or at least certain grapes were not as susceptible. So in 2006 or so, I started planting this vineyard. And that's then throughout the years, I have, uh, excuse me a second. Throughout the years, I um, realized that certain varieties of grapes were much more susceptible and other ones were a lot less susceptible. So we've constantly, what we call in the military, taller tapped the, the the better one goes forward and the, you know, uh, what was that term? Can you repeat? Ta that? So we, so uh, when you, when you line up in the military, we call it taller tap, the taller guy standing in the back and the, 
and the shorter guys stand in the front so that the little guys aren't looking, you know, in the middle of somebody's back. Right. Um, so right. To, um, it's kind of a sorting process. And, that, right. and you can self, self-sort yourself pretty quickly in a, in a group like that by taller tapping. Uh, but uh, the way I kind of think about it in terms of grapevines is if there's a better one to grow there, uh, it's going to get removed and we'll put it something else there. Yeah. And so for this last, uh, these last few years, I've been taking out all the varieties that just really didn't uh, do very well here. And the last one I pulled out was a grape called Niagara and uh-huh. replaced it with uh, a Minnesota hybrid called Atasca, which is oh, yeah. much more, much more resilient. Have you found and that to be true yet, or is it too early to say? Way too early to say. So, okay, got it. <laughs> uh, it's, um, sis- I have some of its uh, family members, let's just say, the, the Frontenac, all three Frontenacs, which grow here without spraying. So, I, And a task is supposed to be more hardy than that. So I have high hopes for these grapes. Got it. Okay. Now, so other than sort of this this gradual progression you, you moved there really just because you wanted to live there and and then started observing fruit trees were you growing things besides apple what, what were you growing in terms of fruit trees oh yeah so some of the plants that were here so i, I had recently met some of the people that lived on this property uh, when in the 1950s through the 1970s so they're all my my parents age so they're uh, in their upper 70s and lower 80s and some of the some of the plants that their parents and grandparents planted on this property are still here. So there was a grapevine here that um, that is probably over a hundred years old right now. Uh, Do you know that, what it is? Um, it's kind of a wild, um, oh, okay, Concord grape style. Got it. it goes into yeah. one of our sweeter wines. Okay. Uh, but it, I have a, trained up over a pergola, so it provi- provides a lot of nice shade, uh, great yeah. smell in September when it's ripening. Hmm. Nice. But things, uh, kind of random things, there, there are some blueberry bushes are here. There are uh, a rhubarb patch that um, this uh, this woman's mother, or this, these people's mother, planted here, uh-huh. uh, are still growing here. Um, and then a lot of flowering plants are still growing here that, that have been growing here. I see, I've seen pictures that are 100 years old of this property, and the same plants are in the same place. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. So it's and they're and they're nice decorative plants, so there's no reason to move them or and they don't need to be touched. Right. I love that. That that sounds like permaculture to me. Um yeah. <laughs> So you're just observing what's already there and planting some of your own fruit trees, you know, probably for your own devices, I imagine, and yeah. just noticing, you know, the 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 mildew pressures, the fungus pressures that you're getting and I mean, did you have any training in this sense of, you know, like permaculture training or anything like that, that would make you think along these lines of how to just build a resilient, you know, ecosystem for your fruits? Or did you just, was that just a natural thing? I mean, I'm just curious what your, your values or thought process was as you started thinking about, you know, growing vines more specifically. So I'm a a voracious reader. So I read quite a variety of things and often I'll have three or four things going in parallel. And one of the books that I read when I first started getting into this is called The Grape Grower by Lon Rumbaugh. Okay. And so he, he is in a different part of the world. He's in, he, he was in Oregon and uh, he bred different grapevines. He uh, talked about characteristics and, and what was necessary for growing grapevines organically in 
in Oregon, I believe is where he was from. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, then I started kind of branching out, dealing with uh, other people that are growing grapes and, and uh, the University of New Hampshire system. And everybody told me that I was uh, uh, doing a fool's errand by trying to go after something organic in this uh, very humid in the summertime. It's very humid conditions here and hot. Yeah. So yep. uh, I just I just kind of said that can't be completely true because some of the first grapevines I planted are still in the ground and have never been sprayed with anything. Right. And and the only thing I ever sprayed was on the Niagara. I had sprayed some copper to uh, fight back the mildew, but sometimes mm-hmm. it takes uh, black. It, so the, what we fight the most is this, it's called black rot where the fruit right. turns black and, and almost looks like it's been burned is it shrivels. It's not even raisins. It's, it shrivels and it's hard black and mm. just becomes a whole bunch of grapes that look like they've been burned wow. and fighting that back year after year uh, is not, it's just not a fun thing to do. Yeah. No, no matter what you do culturally for it, it doesn't seem to make a difference in how fast and the vine grows very fast too. So there's lots of leaves. There's lots of very big leaves shading the fruit and it's hard to get out in the sunlight, which is one of the methods we use to, to get the fruit uh, to sanitize itself, basically, you know, the sun right. sanitizing the fruit. So black rot is, as I understand it, there's, there are quite a few varieties with resistances to the downy powdery, you know, things like that. Um, but black rot does seem to be the, the sort of Achilles heel of even some of the, the better cold, hard, cold, hardy hybrid, uh, resistant varieties. Um, but that right. really is the only solution is what you're saying. There isn't, there isn't like any cultural practices, whether it's like, you know, hedging or leaf prune, leaf pulling, or, I mean, sun sounds like sun exposure is one helpful thing, but it sounds like, you know, if you have a, a you know, a week of hot, rainy weather in the summer, that's going <laughs> to, it's not going to help with the sun exposure. And, yes. uh, so if any, so you really do need an internal resistance from the plant itself to be able to combat it. It sounds like, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, exactly what I'm getting at. And so, yeah. uh, a lot of these plant catalogs, nursery catalogs, uh, lawn Rumbaugh's web- website had, uh, a list of, you know, uh, what are, what are these plants? resistant to what are these leaves resistant to what is the fruit resistant to and so i started doing research into you know uh, trying a bunch of different things uh, both from the university of minnesota and from cornell about what i should try to grow here and uh, quickly settled on you know i planted a small block i would say it's about 200 vines and uh, saw what worked and what didn't and start pulling out what didn't uh, uh-huh. for, for instance, a grape like Traminette would just set fruit in black rot almost immediately. Uh, and yeah. Brianna, I've never seen black rot on it at all. In, uh-huh. And so I've grown it since 2006. Wow. In, you know, and, and 2021 and 2022 were about as opposite years you can get here. Yeah. 21, we got hit by four hurricanes. It rained. Uh, I, I tell everybody it rained only twice in July, once for 14 days and once for 16 days. um because it just didn't ever seem to stop so we had already had fruit set and then it rained rain 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 and then you know towards the end of the year we had hurricane after hurricane sweep through it it devastated places like long island and the uh, where i sourced some of my grapes and 
the Hudson River Valley in New York, where I sourced some of my grapes, it, it devastated some of them because they got so much rain at a time yeah. we were trying to ripen the fruit. Right. Uh, but um, I, I was pretty pretty well off here, and, and I thought that's pretty uh, that's pretty cool that now that the vines are uh, up to you know a, a lot of them are over ten years old now. They're uh, they're pretty resilient in what they do. Wow. So. How so? I, I, you were starting to talk about you read that book, the uh, the grape grower, and then can I mean what what it was? So was that it? Basically, just a a bunch of reading informed these ideas. I mean, did you, was there a moment when you're like, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm gonna make a commitment to this? Like, because imagine if you spray copper once, you're I don't know, you know, what I mean, like at least you're thinking about it. You know, it's a possibility. You're you're maybe right. trying to be organic, but you you know you know you have some tools you can work with. At what point did you just say, you know what, no, I'm just going to let, let nature take its course? Well, I kind of got there on, on a, a variety of different levels. Um, there are, you know, I, I just think generally we try to use, uh, and, and, and to use the human algorithm or, or the human analog. Uh, if you use antibody, antibiotics for everything that ails you, you will be resistant to nothing. Um, so I kind of feel the same way about plants. If you don't let them try to tackle the challenges that they face, you're just going to make the plant weaker and weaker. Right. And so, um, you know, the second part of that is I, I like to be mindful about what I put in my body and how I eat and how my children eat and the land my children walk on and my grandchildren walk on and the, the dogs for that matter, you know, the dog, uh, you don't want to exclude them from chasing uh, uh, turkeys out of the vineyard, right, which is right. a real thing. Yeah, they're they're part of the pest control. Right? They absolutely are. Yeah, and <laughs> they hear the word turkeys and they perk up and they they actually <laughs> they could see part of the vineyard out the south door and they have a certain whine when that when there are turkeys out there. Uh, <laughs> it's different than squirrels. And it's different than groundhogs. You know, there's different animals that kind of come through. They have, and they, <laughs> they have a special turkeys wine are, for each one. Yeah, well, mo- mostly turkeys. I, I, I gotcha. Uh, they, they know that I set them loose to chase the turkeys. I might not set them loose on a squirrel because squirrels will run into the road. Turkeys there will fly go. up into the trees and up on the, right. you know, up on the buildings, and so they're a little safer. You know, they're not, uh, and they, and they go, they go up and out, and the dogs don't run across the road to get them. Hopefully, got it, got it, got it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like the dogs would would follow the squirrels into the road, which would not. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you have raccoons or deer as an issue as well? Well, we do. Uh, The deer seem to be more of a problem at both ends of the growing year. So right after bud break, they like the nice, soft, uh, fresh shoots of the vines. There are places, the kind of the way we, I've done the trellising is on the, on the outsides of the vineyard, I run wires really low to the ground uh, so that the deer can't step through. Um, oh, so they are a bit of a problem, but they're also a problem kind of at the very end of the season with the ripe fruit. And uh-huh. uh, and especially the, the past two years, there's a the southeast corner of our, our vineyard. It's kind of not, it's not visible from the house, but um, it's behind the winery. Um, it's blocked by the view of the winery. And so the deer get down there and they eat and you can tell that they've been eating because there's a, there's just a swath that's maybe two or three feet wide and all the grapes on the right there are eat. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, 
we have other methods of chasing the deer out of here. I mean, I like to let the dogs loose for them too, but dogs are a little bit confused by something that big. <laughs> Got it. And you haven't had um, the raccoon issues at all? We have a little bit. Uh, we had in, uh, yeah, last year when, when we picked the Brianna, we had, uh, it, it started to rain in the middle of the pick. So we just left the lugs in the vineyard. It's, it was cool rain. So we left it uh, out in the vineyard and um, there were definitely critters that came along and pulled them out of the, out of the, the grape lugs and pulled grapes out onto the ground and uh. ate some right there. So uh, I've seen that, but I've not had a, like a really terrible problem with that. Uh, birds oh. on the other hand or something. completely different. Oh, so that's, are you netting then? So we actually don't, but we, we use this thing called a bird guard, which is, uh, it, it simulates birds in distress. So oh. it's, uh, the birds that we generally have problems with are like robins and bluebirds. And there, there are about seven different birds that this uh, machine will make the sounds for. So we have a solar panel, we hook to a battery, which uh, hooks to this machine and, and broadcasts this, the sounds of these birds in distress. And it has two effects. It chases those birds away because they think that other birds are being murdered. And um, it also attracts the hawks, which the, the smaller birds see and they move farther out. Right. Uh, but when the fruit is ripe, the birds will uh, get in trees as close to the vineyard as they can and swoop through and, and, and grab a berry and, and go. Right. Um, and we had a problem last year where the bird guard device uh, or the actually the solar panel failed and the it stopped making the sounds and we thought it was the battery so we swapped up the battery so it worked for a few days and then it failed again and the birds really came in and took over uh, a whole block of petite pearl that we had so they left uh, one vine with fruit on it and took it wow wow yeah and it was just it was this year this just right at the end of the season it's hard yeah yeah that's when they yeah yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what the uh, the vines uh, evolved to do, right? Uh, to make themselves yeah. attractive to birds right at that moment. <laughs> yeah, and something um, like Petit Pearl has really small berries too, so that's you know it's it's easy pickings. Oh man, Oof. now I, I know we're just talking about the the flora and fauna here, but bears? Do you have any bear issues? Uh, there are bears in the area, but I haven't seen them here. Okay. Uh, a few years ago, we had a section of vineyard that was knocked down. This was after harvest and, and during a heavy snowstorm. Uh, something had gotten in the trellising and pushed it over, and it was either a moose or a bear. But it, it actually, there are metal poles that were folded and pressed all the way to the ground. So imagine wow. a, a T-shaped pole with wires at the top. Right. And four of them in the same row were just bent over to the ground to the east, just folded it right over on the ground. So something got in there and, and pulled it down when there was no fruit. So uh, that something was kind big. of interesting. Something <laughs> big that we didn't see, and it was during a you know a, a really big snowstorm. Wow. Again, a, a place that you can see from the house, but it had no reason to look out there if there's nothing going on yeah. in the in the window. Yeah, and if it if it was night too, maybe you know you're yeah. asleep or whatever. Huh. That uh, it's yeah. These are the kind of things. Um, I guess out here in California, we don't often think about, but I love to hear how these are real challenges. <laughs> yeah. like the, the pest control is very different than our uh, IPM <laughs> strategy right. which, uh, is, uh, is geared to deal with out here. Um, 
<laughs> the dog. No, and, and the and the deer problem. I mean, we. Uh, I I've been in talks with one of my neighbors who's a bow hunter, and that's a that's a strategy to to take, uh, you know, to thin the herd of deer. Right. Um, and they and they know if one has been uh, one one has been killed there that it's not a place that's uh, favorable to them. Let's put that way. Oh, got it. And so the deer, they... and the dogs really do keep that. You know, the dogs uh, running around the vineyard and leaving their scent around. Uh, make a yep. difference the deer could tell that too right yeah i imagine yeah deer and, and other predators probably who are wary uh get that scent and yeah at least they're more cautious less yes. likely to nice yeah it seems like dogs are wonderful in many ways in that sense <laughs> yeah um so what are what are the things that you're finding having having done this how like what, what a, you, you mentioned brianna uh, as as one of the varieties that's doing really well, are there others that are are as as long performing? It sounds like you're buying some grapes too, so your full production isn't coming from the vineyard yet. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's only about talk? yeah, go yeah ahead. Fif- about fifteen hundred vines right now. So um, fifteen hundred. Okay. Yeah. So we've uh, we've got about an acre and a half under vine. We have to leave some open space and and you know some space near the roads and things so we can get vehicles in there. Got it. Uh, but I also grown Baco Noir, which is a, you know, it's a, it was bred to uh, help the French wine industry in the 1800s. Yeah. Um, all, th- all three versions of Frontenac. So the Frontenac Gris is the, what we have planted the most of. Uh, Blanc, which is uh, just a row of that. And then uh, Frontenac Noir, which we have about uh, four or five rows of that. Uh, and, they, and they tend to go into our red blend. You know, the reds go into the red blends. The, uh, Got it. The Frontenac Gris uh, is pretty acidic grape. I mean, these all are pretty acidic. Uh, but then I planted um, other vines to kind of offset the acidity, some low acidic grapes. So grapes such as Prairie Star, which is pretty easy to grow, Alpenglow, and mm. Orion, which is a German grape. Uh, those are all very low acid. They're also low sugar, but they do add a kind of a neutral uh, they don't add a lot to the flavor of the wine, the Prairie Star and Alpha more so than the Orion, but they also uh, kind of offset that terrible bracing acidity that comes from Frontenac Gris. Gotcha. So blend those in and it sort of dilutes some of that acidity yeah. without, without adding a ton of flavor. Right. Um, yeah. That's a, yeah. So it, do you, what, what is your strategy now? Like, are you, do you have... Are you continually trying new things? Do you have a bunch of uh, trial varieties in a specific, you know, in a block that you then propagate if they do well over time? Or how, what, yeah, like what's your strategy for trying to move forward without, you know, losing everything? You yeah. Know? Um, so uh, I'm, I think the vineyard here uh, at this site is pretty well set. Now, um, one of the things I'm doing is oh. working with other growers. So I'm trying to foster. Uh, relationships and, and I do have some growers in the next town. So I'm in the town of London, in the town of Londonderry, which is just to our west. And so I have two guys there that I'm working with. I'm trying to get them to put in, um, and they said they would put in an, about five acres of grapes there. I'm working with another set of people over on the seacoast to plant some other grapes there. So oh, wow. I really do want to get to the point where, um, you know, sourcing more, more and more local. And, and some of, I do have some local sources, some, some which come and go, um, some which have gone. Um, there's people up in Maine who've kind of come in and uh, taken at least one of my sources of grapes because they're willing to pick the grapes and I'm not uh, just, you know, at harvest time, I can't go pick everybody's grapes and bring them back here. 
Right. Um, but um, yeah, that's my strategy is work specifying what grapes I will buy and what ones I think will do well on the given sites that uh, these people are planting vineyards and then working with them to make them successful because they're going to make me successful. Nice. And so how, how, so you said 2006 was the Brianna, is that the oldest vines that you've got at the moment? Yeah. The Baco Noir and the Brianna are, are, are the two oldest. Yeah. Uh, Brianna is a, a white or is it a pink grape? I forget. It's a white grape. It's a white it's grape. A white grape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah Baco so, I'm familiar with Baco is actually was bred for uh black rot resistance. Is that right? Am I, do yeah. I have that right? That, yeah. And, or, and kind of as a replacement for Pinot Noir in, France when they're having a phylloxera problem. Ah, got it. Yeah. And it's interesting that it was bred, you know, and and once they figured out you could put uh, European grapes on American rootstock, they made it illegal again in France. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So we don't, we don't have those restrictions that they have. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, uh, what was I going to say? It's how, how does it do there? I mean, how is it in terms of the wine quality? High acid, I'm, I'm imagining. It's, it's slightly high acid, but I can let this. So um, both of those grapes, the Brianna and the Baco Noir will hang a long time. Okay. Uh, the Baco Noir uh, has fairly thick skin, so it will, it will hang a long time. It's not like Pinot Noir that, you know, that, that uh, the skin slip off and start falling off right. the vine and berries start coming off shelling. Right. As we call it. Right. Uh, Brianna, when it's phys- physiologically ripe, Regardless of what the chemistry is, it's time to pick it because otherwise you're not getting any of the, the uh, skins tend to thin out as they ripen. And the, uh, the winged insects like hornets and wasps and even honeybees drill in and drink that juice. Wow. Got it. So th- there's other pests involved. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I can learn, I, I've learned that grip by taste now and, and just observing the ripening schedule. And Brianna's right. one of these that, Kind of ripens long, nice and nice and slowly, and okay, oh, there's all of a sudden this spike where the sugar goes up and the acid comes down, and they're physiologically ripe, and you've got to get them all in. Right. <laughs> nice. And so we're we're cropping that one at about, um, and I just did the calculation this year, about five and a half tons per acre. So we don't have a full acre of it, but we we got over two tons. We have about two point one tons of it on about four hundred vines this year. So it's a very productive great oh wow yeah yeah and that's and it's and, it's not and that's the one on my home anymore either yeah okay yeah nice. so if you if you look at our home page on our, on our uh, website what is, the, what's your website <laughs> uh, it's apollovineyards.com and hey. it's, okay. apollo is spelled differently than you've ever seen it uh, two p's <laughs> and one l like apple let's say a- yeah a-p-p-o-l-o yeah okay and that and, picture of you holding i guess that's you holding a bunch of grapes that's brianna yeah, actually, that's one of my friends holding the grapes. Okay, look at that great nice. picture with that two hundred year old yeah. barn in the background. That's great. Yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. And so, uh, yeah, when they're physiologically ripe, it's time. You, you, nobody's going to wait for that. Gotcha. Now, you make some sparkling too. Are you using those grapes for the sparkling? Yeah. So I made actually for this year. I made three different wines out of this grape. I made um, so we we took the the brightest orange so these grapes and they get enough sunlight they'll actually turn orange so we took the most orange clusters and set those aside and we made a a pet nut out of it so we made an orange pet nut which means we crushed the fruit we put it into a fermenter with a lid 
to keep the insects out and uh, let it naturally ferment. And, you know, this is the ultimate test of, you know, what is, what's going on in the vineyard in terms of yeast that's there in terms of, you know, what, um, any kind of contamination. And what happened was we, we got uh, the day after we crushed it, uh, we left it outside. It was cold, like 50 degrees and rainy. So miserable kind of cold weather. And it spontaneously <laughs> fermented and inside of 10 days fermented to dry. Wow. So. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So it's, um, and we call that wine lightning bug. So we have a sparkling wine called Firefly, and I'll talk about Firefly in a minute. So uh, lightning bug is just completely, um, it, it's a pet nap. Uh, we did add some sugar, uh, about 2% sugar, and then bottled it so that we would get a sparkling wine out of it. And so it's an yeah. orange sparkling pet nat. Uh, the only thing that we added, no yeast to it, no sulfites to it. It just a little bit of sugar to get it uh, fermented in the bottle. Uh, and it's pretty, it's a fun wine. Um, yeah. Actually, the guy holding the grapes on that website is, is one of the guys that said, you need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Did I try that? I think I might have tried that. I think you I might have tried that, yeah. 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 I mean, I enjoyed all your wines, so I, I can't say anything uh, anything specific other than they were all great. So, I, yeah. I, yeah. No, it's, uh, the quality is is very nice. But it, it, it also, you know, what you're talking about does speak to that, uh, you know, the, the vitality of the 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 microflora in the vineyard and and that also made me think about you know a lot of times people who are trying to do what you're doing will focus on that vitality like trying trying to enhance the vines natural vitality by in you know maybe not using uh anti thing sprays but using pro thing sprays if that makes sense i'm being very technical in my language here um more more probiotics more you know uh, know, fertility enhancements things like that just to give the vine its own uh its own fighting chance from within uh you know having like not tilling uh so that you know it's got a connection in the soil with lots of different uh, soil microbiota and, the, and and a connection to all the soil microbiome within the vineyard to be able to you know trans transfer nutrients and micronutrients around as needed. Right. Are you is this your focus as well? Can you talk any a little bit about that? So yeah, I, we've done things like uh, compost tea. Uh, some of the folks that uh, are planting one of those vineyard, vineyards out on the seacoast uh, have uh, helped me with make some compost tea that they put down in certain vineyard areas of the vineyard where there's soil compaction and that's uh, loosened some things up. Uh, this, uh, this year specifically, we had a very severe drought. So I remember I said last year and this year were two very different years in terms of one rain didn't stop raining, one didn't rain at all. And right. we turned out more fruit this year than we did last year, even though it was a severe drought. Um, <laughs> I think because of the soil, so, uh, biology, you know, that what we're finding out and what, you know, these, these folks are much more uh, into farming and into the soil chemistry than I am, is that the, uh, the fungus that's under, under the ground uh, actually helps that, um, you know, the, the plants transfer all that stuff. So if we're not, right. if you're, if you're dumping copper and sulfur that kills fungus on top of the ground that gets down in the ground and it, and it makes the plant weaker because it's not, it's not getting resiliency from below, which is where the, 
the uh, immune system of the plant is. You know, a lot of it's below the soil line. Right. And so, um, like I said, this is a 200-year-old farm. And so there have been lots of animals here over the years. And then not many in the, you know, the few years that I've owned it, 20 years. Of, but the uh, there have been lots of animals here in the past. So I've not, not done a lot in terms of, uh, you know, uh, adding any kind of fertilizer to the soil. Uh, we're just trying to let the soil you know, recover on its own. Huh. Um, That's, one, yeah. of the, one of the things we do is add, um, I, and I've planted this often, is clover to put new, uh, put some nitrogen in the soil. Yeah. Got a very natural way to uh, to let it grow. So are you just mowing then to, to keep things from yeah. becoming overgrown? Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, we, uh, and I hire kids to mow between the vines. Uh, okay. And, <laughs> um, you know, and, and as uh, almost everything here is grown, we do grow some VSP, which is vertical shoot positioning is pretty much everything you see in Napa and Sonoma, that's VSP. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but we, uh, I kind of train uh, grapevines up in a different way. So uh, almost everything is about, um, I'd say uh, eye level or chin level to, for me. Okay. Uh, so the fruit's fairly up high. All the all the new buds that come out in the spring that I want to foster are going to be up that high, which helps when we get a late frost. And so the they're, the the late frosts. Um, I've had whole sections of the vineyard that I grafted over, and the graft was growing really well, and got a late frost and it killed all of them. And on either side, we had these high trained vines with fresh shoots that weren't touched. You know, that weren't they weren't burned off by the frost. Right. Um, so we're doing all kinds of things um, that they're quite a bit different. And a lot of people would say, uh, you know, out, thinking outside the box a little bit. And the other thing it does is, you know, it's uh, fairly easy to harvest the fruit because you can do it standing up straight. Right. You know, yeah. You're not, you're not bent over. You know, you're not sitting on the ground if, if you can help it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, it chin to eye height for you is what? Five and a half? Something like that, five and a half. Feet? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, sixty something inches around there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm six foot two, so it's there. You know, go. Okay, I mean, so. I mean, at the most, most things are under six right. feet tall. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could be four eleven, and chin height would be very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, good. Just wanted to clarify. <laughs> well, one of my uh, neighbors' so, uh, moms came by, and she's she's uh, Korean. And she was wearing a hat and walked completely under the vines. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And had her picture taken there with gra- grapes on her hat. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's true. It does. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about this as well. If you have to plant, you know, out of reach of, of deer, that also might mean you're out of reach of, you know, <laughs> some of the people that you might want to help you pick the grapes in the fall yeah. or prune right. uh, so you kind of like restricting your labor force to, you know, people over five and a half feet tall or something like that. Yeah. Um, so the, you, I, I sort of stopped you from going on to talk about your other wines, but please continue from, from the pet nat. You were going to tell me about. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So we took, uh, you know, it was about, I would say about half a ton of grapes that we took to make the lightning bug, which is the Petnat Brianna. Yeah, right. And then we took and we crushed, yeah, the other almost two tons and we made uh, Firefly, which is, uh, so we crushed it 
uh, we we do a cold soak overnight, um, and that cold weather really did a good job for cold soak. Uh, and then we press it. Uh, but when uh, so what we do is we take the free run juice, and that becomes the Firefly, which is a really light uh, sparkling wine. That's uh, it's uh, almost everything I let spontaneously ferment, and then I add a cultured yeast to it on top of that to make sure that it finishes. Uh-huh. Uh, so um, that that is a uh, you know the the uh, sparkling wine I do. We have to do a certain amount of that, so it's it's bottled at another winery, and there's a minimum amount that I could take there to uh, make it worth both of our whiles. So I did add a little bit of the press juice to that. So the it's mostly, and I would say 95% uh, free run juice. So you crush it as go it goes into the press. What's running out on its own is free run juice, and we separate that juice from the press juice. And the press juice uh, went and uh, became the still wine Brianna. Okay. Uh, we also did a couple of other things. We took the skins that were pressed and we uh, gave them to a local brewery and they made a Goza out of them at Rockingham nice. Brewery. Yeah, and, nice. a, and a brewery over in Nashua took some a little bit of the juice and some of the skins and they put it into another, uh, I'm sorry, uh, both those are beers. No, both those uh, beers, uh, or maybe two of them, but it's a brewery called Tailspinner in Nashua and they uh, haven't yet released that. They're going to release that. Uh, for their anniversary in February. So doing a lot of collaborations with my favorite uh, wonderful tasting grape. And the goes is, I, I beg people for years to do a goes with me. And uh, I just love that style of beer. Oh, nice. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Um, I'm looking also on your website since I was here looking at the Brianna grapes. And there's this one photo that I think really conveys, I think, what looks like an amazing tasting experience potential where I think I see the old, you know, Concord wild vine trained over the pergola at one end and then sort of umbrellas, uh, an outdoor tasting area right in the middle of the vines next to the old barn. That's lovely looking. How do you? Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So there used to be a building there that, um, it was a oh, called that's the, like an old foundation kind of thing. It was at one time, but in order to make the patio work, we had to tear it up. So in 2016, oh, okay. I left my, you know, left the software company that I worked for, and decided to do this full time. And so it's it was already there. I'd already had offset from that, um, and so we tore up that old foundation and turned it into a, a patio, which I call the crush pad. So I can't believe <laughs> nobody has made a tasting room called the crush pad before. So the crush, this is the crush pad. And um, we, we serve wine outside uh, in the uh-huh. middle of the vineyard. And because it's no spray vineyard, you can walk into the vineyard and pull the grapes and, you know, and, and see what's going on there. And we do tours into nice. the grapes and, and uh, specific tours where we pour the wines in the vineyard that is growing right, right next to where you're, where I'm pouring. Um, and, so within that, within that, uh, we do have, do have some grassy area. We we put up a tent this year to keep the the rainy days less. Uh, and and even though I said it didn't rain, it did rain sometimes. That's <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, when you people back east say it doesn't rain, it's very different from when we oh, say yeah. it doesn't rain out <laughs> yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We literally mean it hasn't rained for ten months. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, although I'm saying that as it's raining, so it's kind of nice right now. But yeah, um, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, and, and so um, in that same photo, you can see the, the grapevines off uh, pretty much both sides of the patio with Brianna and uh, 
So as you're looking at the photo on the left is the south, on the right it's the north. To the east, which is would be behind the photographer, and this is taken by a drone, but there's more Brianna there. Okay. Uh, and then okay. and that 200 year old barn is um, kind of the centerpiece that I've rehabilitated since I've been here. Uh, nice. Yeah, yeah tore the roof cool. off and put modern modern trusses in it. So. Oh, got it. Yeah, it looks lovely. Um, yeah, really beautiful thing. Have you considered getting certified? Did you ever look into that in any form of certification, whether organic or 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 beyond or whatever? Does, is that? I mean, I, I don't. You know, it, I'm just curious. There's no real. I'm not saying you should at all, but I'm just curious if you looked into it and what. I mean, it seems like I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just curious. Yeah, and I have, and uh, and I, I have two minds of it. Right, I I. Uh, I like the idea of being certified organic. There's a, a lot of paperwork and a lot of you know, proof that you're doing the right thing, but which is fairly easy to do. When you're doing nothing, yeah. it's pretty easy to say. I'm doing right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a pesticide license for a while, and they kept showing up randomly saying, show us your records. I'm like, well, what record? Your spray, <laughs> right. your spray records. Mm, I don't have any. Well, you must have some. You have a license. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so anyway, there's the, the that whole thing. And then, but the, the second mind is that um, I've had, and, and I, I don't know if you have the same experience, but I've had uh, organic wines that are just absolutely terrible that, mm. um, you know, they, they probably shouldn't be shipped. They shouldn't be sitting on store shelves. Uh, they sh- they're, they're not being handled properly. And so the organic, I don't know if you've had the same thing or not, Adam, but some of the organic wines are just absolutely insipid and spoiled oh, yeah yeah and and uh oxidized yeah. and there's all kinds you, you, there's there's hundreds of flaws right you know have affected <laughs> right. these these uh wines and well, so i think it's kind of yeah. gotten a bad rap yeah I, I think you're right i mean and and you bring up a really good point because i i've found that quite a bit as well you know absolutely because because of the labeling law so and 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 this is the thing i i keep forgetting that i should sort of clarify this when i ask this question but i I care so little about wineries being certified organic or whatever, because that's, that's actually, you know, one of the requirements to be able to make a, an organic wine that says organic wine on the label or made with organic right. grapes. You have to certify the winery, which I don't care about. You know, it's like that, that is where I've heard, you know, I haven't been through the process myself, but I've heard it's just onerous. Yeah. Like I, I guess when I ask, I'm always thinking vineyards, which is a separate certification. And that way you can't really say anything on the bottle unless you, what I've found is unless you list ingredients and then you can say one of the ingredients is organic grapes. Um, yeah. But other than that, you can't say organic, you know, on the label. So it doesn't help you, you know, if you're just trying to sell a bottle that way. So it, it kind of only helps with your marketing because you can say certified organic vineyards, you know, you can put that all over your website and marketing materials. You just can't put it on your labels unless you also certify the winery, which I think is kind of, I don't know. But yeah. if you do go that route and you want to put organic wine on your label, the only way to do that is to not add sulfites. And I think that's right. given the whole organic brand in terms of wine a bad rap because you have all this zero sulfite wine that actually maybe wasn't made it was maybe made more conventionally, um, but then they just didn't add sulfites. And, and so it's, you don't have the benefit of, of sort of like, a, you know, the, the protections that natural wines, I think, that the best made natural wines sort of go through to, to still retain their, their beauty in bottle despite not using sulfites. Correct. Um, 
but even those, I mean, you know, that's there's still an argument to be made that that's it's still very challenging and risky to not use sulfates, regardless of you know what precautions you take. I think, um, right. you know, though, but so, I, but yeah, that is a really good point. There's there's a you're not the first person that I've heard that from, and and it does seem to be especially outside you know the wine circles where we're most um, informed about why these things happen. Like just to the to the lay public, it's yeah, that's been my experience as well. Like that a lot of people feel if it says organic on it, it's probably bad in terms yeah. of wine. Yeah. Bad. Uh, you know, well, I, I thought it would be interesting to just grab a couple of wines off the store shelf and test their SO2 to see, you know, see what, see what was in, oh, yeah. still in the bottle yeah. um, on, on the grocery store shelves. Do you did this? No, I, I will. But I, I, oh, okay. I, I plan to do it. I, I'm doing a, a set of tests this week. So I thought, no, I'm just going to grab a couple curious. of bottles of wine and open them and take oh, a sample and see, see what they are. Because I think I, my, my, you know, a New Zealand wine, I'm curious if it's, I know they have different limits than we do here in the U.S., but mm, uh, that wine traveled yeah. a long way to get here. Right, right. And yeah, yep. That's a really good point. Oh, I'd be really curious. Let me know what you find out. I'd be yeah, especially yeah, so the sweeter wines, the sweet, uh, uh, you know, oh, the, man. Uh, $9 uh, store shelf wines that everybody, you know, that people say is great. Uh, and they're a little bit sweet, <laughs> you know, that yes. they're a little bit, oh, yeah. the cab that's a little bit sweet. I'm just really oh, curious yeah. uh, how much uh, sulfite is in it. Yep, me too. Not that I want to drink the wine, but right. I don't want to know. <laughs> but I want to test it. Yeah. Um, well, this is great. I, I can you tell? I mean, can you tell at this point? Um, you know, I, I mean, what are the plans for for what you're doing? Are there are there viticultural practices that you have found make this more possible? Like you said, sort of those management and and you know whatever it is, like the the cultivation tactics that you're using. Not cultivation. Oh uh, yeah. So plow, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting the way. It, I learn something every time I go to a winery or a vineyard and, and get a tour because people are doing all kinds of things that nobody writes about. Nobody listens to, um, I, yeah. you know, nobody, no, nobody, you know, knows that they're doing. And, uh, one, one of the, one of the interesting ones that, um, I could, uh, flash back on is, um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie blood into wine. But, I think um, I have, yeah. Yeah, it's about Arizona wine, and, and um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Maynard James Keenan is growing wine and making wine, and he's a rock star and all this other stuff. But he, right. he, he says at some point, he says we haven't gotten to the point in the vineyard where we don't have a cluster touching a cluster and leaves touching clusters. And I thought, wow, I wonder why he said that. And then you know, kind of observationally myself, and this is what you know that movie's uh, fourteen years ago or maybe longer than yeah. that. Uh, observationally the ones that are in the sunlight uh do much better and they taste better and they uh they have no rot and and so on so one of the things we're uh, i spent a lot of uh, money in the vineyard this year uh having leaves pulled around all the clusters and getting everything out at least part part of the day in the sunlight so right peeling back the leaves from uh, the leaf above the clusters all the way down to where the shoot uh came out of the base of the vine yeah. or out of the or the last year shoot and uh, and showed these guys when we were picking the fruit these are the ones you guys got to these are the ones that w we couldn't get to look at the difference in in how hard it is to pick this fruit it's it's you know we, we what we do is we'll we'll pull off bad berries when we're harvesting and 
and the ones that have mm. had leaves touching them are terrible in terms of you know uh, soft berries and you know things that are, uh. are spoiled but the ones that are out in the sunlight just there's nothing wrong with them. it's like that there are, there are thousands of clusters like that one in the on the on the home page there wow I so that. so that's okay. a that's a big deal you know the, the leaves yeah. getting the leaves off the fruit is a big deal when you're not spraying anything on in the vineyard and what what is the get, timing and, sorry go ahead uh so i'll talk about timing too but uh you know that that's a, a big part of it uh getting the suckers so the the uh the shoots that come from the base of the vine or are down low on the vine where you don't want them getting rid right. of those early in the year um, i had a vineyard manager work here a few years ago and he spent uh you know he had he had two workers working with him and they spent uh the month of july cutting shoots that were the the size of my little finger you know and diameter and oh, four yeah. feet long from these vines um whereas if they'd have done it a month earlier they're they just you know, rub them off with your finger or a pair of clippers you know and just snip them off and let them lay yeah uh, but they hauled lots and lots of green greenery out of the vineyard that year from down low on the vine where should never have been allowed to, to grow so those two things make a world of difference in terms of uh the vine health and where you want to focus the energy of the vine and then also uh, making sure that only the fruit that you want to ripen is what you leave on the vine right yeah i want i imagine if you had like a super vigorous variety or you're just you know a, a vine that was in a very vigorous uh, soil or conditions where you were getting overproductive, maybe those suck, letting those suckers grow long before cutting them off might be a way to help devigorate the vine right. yeah. initially. But yeah, if you're trying to get it to focus its energy and stuff, it's it's sort of like, yeah, thinking about these things, I, I always think about them as like, so, you know, when I hear somebody like you talk about it and how, you know, it you did this to do that. And then I'm like, well, that might not work in every instance, but at least it's now in people's mind as like a lever that they can pull Right. You know, depending on their circumstance, whether they pull it this way or that way or when they pull it, you know, might very be very different from you. But at least it's a good thing to think about. It's a good thing to be aware of as a as a control factor. Um, yeah. And, you... and even in terms of expense, uh, it, was a, it was a lot more expensive for me to pay those people to get get rid of the suckers in July than, than it would have been <laughs> very in Very good May. point. Yeah. 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 Just for practical reasons. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in July, I want them pulling leaves, on, you know, and you mentioned the timing, pulling the leaves, as soon as it sets fruit, start pulling those leaves uh, from around the fruit. So they, uh, you know, they get up to size or, you know, maybe about half the diameter of the berries. Uh, uh, that's usually when we start pulling leaves around it. Um, and maybe this year a little bit sooner because of the amount of time required. It it's, sounds like a very simple thing, but it requires thought and and unless you supervise, especially the, the team, I have some teenagers working here. This just supervise them. They tend to take all the leaves off a shoot, which is, which means that the, <laughs> that fruit doesn't ripen. Right. So, right. you know, you want, you want the ones out on the end. You, want the, you just want them from here to here. Oh, right. I thought you wanted them all off. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> so when you started talking about how you're you're sort of doing a you're dropping berries and things and you're sort of you're sort of cleaning up the clusters doing a sort of sort in the vineyard as you're picking yep. Yep. um i imagine or or i guess my question is does someone who goes into this 
commitment of no spray need a certain tolerance for loss? Like, do you have a percentage that even if your your vineyard sets X amount of fruit, you know, 15% of that is you're, you're already planning on not being able to harvest because of whatever reason, you know, or, or well, do I you think, have that kind of calculus or, or are you thinking in that way? Well, I, I, I would set a number, but I would be wrong. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. Because right. <laughs> I don't think anybody can set that number. I don't think even right. in conventionally farmed vineyards that they can say that how much, how, how accurate they're going to be on their, even, even to right before the harvest, how much fruit is there? Because you can estimate, but it's just that it's just an estimate. And right. so uh, a crop loss estimate because you're doing organic is uh, a different, a different beast altogether. You know, you don't, it's uh, you're, you're, you're assuming a certain amount of risk just by doing it in the first place. And yeah. uh, you're assuming more risk if you know, things go terribly bad and you lose a little crop, right? But there's right. lots of reasons you lose a crop. Hurricanes can destroy a crop. Uh, this Brianna, if it, uh, in 20, what was the, a few years ago when uh, we had hurricane come through just days before we harvested and it was lucky we, got the fruit off because the berries would just explode and that would happen regardless of how this war was farmed right it, those berries would explode like tomatoes yeah you don't have the rain algorithm out there in california <laughs> but it, when um when you, you have a tomato plant and you get a lot of rain those tomatoes that are ripe will just they'll just split and send things out right. great. and so that would happen regardless uh, but right i i, I ha hate to venture a number um i just place all my bets in terms of how uh, resilient certain varieties of grapes are and then focus on ones that I think are gonna, that will survive a variety of things happening to them. Right. And so, um, and, and there's a lot to be said for the breeders out there who have done this work, you know, they, mm. so um, we talk about hybrids and I think that a lot of people have uh, uh, not necessarily a bad taste in their mouth, but a, uh, funny ideas about GMO hybrid, and it, this is, these are really two different things. Right. And GMOs are uh, very much uh, uh, organisms that were made so that you can spray toxic chemicals on them. And right. generally, we don't have a problem with that. It's the part that they spray toxic chemicals on them that we have the problem <laughs> with, and then people are eating those. Uh, right. hybrids are, you know, they were, they were bred, you know, they took, they went, they wanted this parent and this parent to, to come up with a new variety. Right. And then they planted a hundred of those. And out of those, these five were the ones that showed promise. And at the end of the day, anywhere between zero and three of those or zero and two of those are something they selected and decided, you know, what, this is something that we should move forward as a, a named variety of grape or a a numbered variety of grape to see how it does. And, and sometimes it works out. Sometimes it just doesn't uh, right. for a variety of reasons. There's, you know, there are things that were developed in Minnesota do really well here, but yeah. the, uh, the offside is that um, some of them tend to break dormancy earlier on the East coast than they do out in Minnesota. And so, ah. which means it's not, it, it's, it's not good for everywhere if that's the case. Right. Right. And so, um, uh, learned a lot about dormancy and what sets it on up if it ignored. Yeah. I remember that the uh, deacclimation rate panel yeah. we must've yeah. both sat in on. That was yeah. really fascinating. Just cool to think about when you're, especially as we're dealing with, you know, a, 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 
a world in which we're probably going to see more and more extremes, uh, both of warm and cold. So, and at weird times at unpredictable and, you know, not normal times, not consistent times. So we'll have warm in February when it should be cold and then cold in April when it should be warm. And if you have that on a vine and the warm in February causes it to start pushing then in, and then in April, you're going to lose everything that pushed if you have a big, heavy freeze. Um, so it's finding these, yeah, that, that panel was really fascinating just in finding these varieties and breeding with this deacclimation rate in mind, a slower deacclimation rate. So the vines that naturally come out of dormancy much slower. So a warming trend in the middle of the winter isn't, isn't going to trick them into coming out of dormancy. Yeah. Um, that they'll, it, they just, they will, they'll maintain a slower rate to, so that if it gets cold again, they, they're fine, they're protected and I, I thought that was, yeah, that was just fascinating. Something that, again, like you said, there's just so many things you learn and can, and, and the breeding, I love that you're giving credit to the grapers. I'm now just fascinated with grape breeding and talking to a lot of them. They're, I, they're, we're going to have a few um, on future podcast episodes oh, of cool. this. Yeah. Just to talk about what people are doing in different areas. Um, you know, Tom Plocker, I, I interviewed actually, and he's the reason I ended up at Vidinord. And uh, oh, cool. yeah, so that was kind of fun just to, to meet him and, and then to taste so many of, you know, different wines from all over the country that are, that are growing his grapes, you know, that he bred yeah, yeah. in Minnesota, you know, uh, yeah, I'm on a, a couple fans, decades but... ago. I'm really one of Tom's fans because uh, he, yeah. what he he's doing is uh, he's he's not just thinking oh this is going to be a resilient vine this is this it has to be commercially viable grape that you can make into a wine that people will buy otherwise it yeah. doesn't matter you know you can make yeah. grape juice out of it but Welch's as I market pretty well cornered in this country right <laughs> right yeah definitely and and you're growing that right you're growing a petite pearl anything yep. else of his. Um, I don't believe so. And it's doing uh, well for you? Yes. Yeah. Other than, other than the bird problem, but that's not his problem. It hangs well and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it produces a really great wine. I mean, I have enough that we have a little bit in barrel right now. Nice. But it's, yes. I bought I mean, the bird problem. Bird the bird problem could be indicative of really tasty grapes, actually. Yeah. <laughs> might yeah. be, it might be a, bene- <laughs> might be a good yeah. sign actually. Yeah. Great aromatics. So they, they, they could smell it in the wind. So there's something. Going uh, nice. And uh, yeah, I bought some of that grape from a grower in Rhode Island a few years ago and just made a straight varietal petite pearl wine out of it. And it was one of the fastest growing wines I've ever made. I mean, fastest selling wow. wines I've ever made. It just, uh, people were coming in and buying a whole case of it at a time. I mean, they yeah. did it with other, like, you know, they did it with cabs and things I, I grow from California fruit, but the, uh, and, and different wines, but this is like, the people are still asking about when you're going to, when you're going to have a petite pearl wine again. Nice. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm keen on both, uh, these growers I mentioned, uh, growing that grape because I, I have no doubt that I could make a good wine from it and sell it. Well, maybe as a closing question for you, I mean, as you said, when you told people what you're doing, you got a lot of, uh, well, you can't do that (laughs) or just like, yeah, you're crazy. Good luck (laughs) kind of thing. Do you, have you come up with a response to that? I mean, obviously you are doing it, so that's some form of response, but do you, I mean, how, how has that shaped how you talk to folks who are, uh, who disbelieve, you know, that this is possible or, or, you know, 
just think you're crazy for trying it. Well, there's a couple of different, uh, there's a couple of different things going on. You know, the, uh, some of the folks said, you know, it's going to be very difficult to do this. I'm not saying it's impossible. They're saying it's difficult to do. Right. And then they've tried the wines and they went, wow, there's something going on here. And then, um, <laughs> they've, they've actually, and, and not many people are going Brianna. So this is, I'm one of the first in New England to grow Brianna. Uh, as a matter of fact, that one of the nurseries that was at Fittenord, he got his cuttings from me years ago, like in oh, wow. I don't know, maybe 2009, so maybe that winter, some, or maybe earlier than that. Uh, and, uh, but I've, I've grown that grape. They know I grow it without sprays. They, they love the, the, uh, the way the, the wine tastes that you can make a dry wine from it. And that, uh, that there's really a uniqueness to it that's grown here and it tastes different than it is other places but the uh the fact that you can do that uh was kind of surprising to everybody but then there's the younger folks that are coming along who have said you know, one of the guys that was at Vidanor, he's he's got his own winery now his own label and said that the reason he moved back to new hampshire is because he tasted my brianna wines and realized okay it is possible there and so he's planting vineyards uh, here in the state and, and making his own wines and, and, and charting his own course as a, a much younger man than me. And so influencing that next generation of growers and winemakers who want to make this a, a wine destination, you know, want to make this a, a place that people understand wine comes from and is unique to this place. It's pretty cool to me. So uh, you got kind of both, both ends of that spectrum. That's um, great. In the early days, though, you know, I'm not saying that they were, uh, you know, anywhere near abusive or anything like that, but often you feel like the village idiot, you know, <laughs> you're doing something that everybody says, no, you're not, that's just a dumb thing. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. kind, of, kind, of, kind of see people kind of looking at each other and look at you and you go, you know, no, is, this, I mean, is this really something worth doing? I mean, I just want to interject, like, I want you to finish that thought, but I want to interject when I've talked to people about this, when I've talked to people about people like you who are doing this, like the reaction that I get from, you know, people with entire careers in wine and wine academics and in all, you know, it's like a smug, well, yeah, uh, no, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's really yeah. like, it is, there's a, a, a total confidence that you will be proven wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, that yeah. you will, yeah. that it will, that it will ultimately end in utter failure. You know, and I'm just like, I mean, it. it you know, I laugh to myself when I encounter that because I'm just like, well, yeah, because it, it's so short sighted to me. It's like, right. Um, I mean, like, clearly it's possible. I mean, yeah. Anyway, so I. Yeah, but it, it not, is not like, only possible, but successful. You know, right. It's one thing to right. Make that something that's just you know. Oh, it's, it's, it's mediocre. Yeah. Uh, that's great. But it's another, quite another thing to have people go, wow, you got something completely unique here. And yeah, it's, it's surprisingly good. Like they're surprised that it's good, but I don't know why they're so surprised. <laughs> it's uh, almost an insult. Yeah. Wow. This is actually good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, this isn't bad. That's my favorite one. No, this isn't bad. Does that mean it's good? <laughs> Uh, uh, but the other, you know, the, the other thing that uh, excites me is this younger generation coming up and they're, they're, uh, I offered up my peaches and in, in, there's a, I have a few peach trees here in the vineyard offer up to one of the guys that's making, uh, starting to make fruit wines and such. And, uh, he brought along, uh, somebody that works with, with them. And, uh, I heard him say, this is the example of where we're trying to go. 
in terms of doing it the right way. And this is because we know it can be done. This is, this is where we're going. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Well, how would people come and uh, try this wonderful wine that you're making? Can, is it reservation only? Do you have tasting room hours? Where, yeah. So in, is there a, what's the town that you're in? We're in Derry, New Hampshire. Derry. So it's like, yeah. So if you come up I 93 from Boston or down I 93 from the mountains, you, uh, we're between exits three and four. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, well, people often ask what exit, but we're, we're 35 miles north of Boston. So inside of an hour, you can get from Boston to here unless it's rush hour. And, uh, yeah, you can go on our website and make a reservation and, uh, or you just, you know, you can go there and, and buy wines and have them shipped to you. They're shipped to about 40 States. Um, we're going to shut down a little bit for the winter. So it's going to be a little bit different, um, uh, this year. I'm going to shut down for a bit and take some some uh, mental health time and do some snowboarding and spend some time with uh, my uh, kids and grandchildren and my wife. Uh, take a little bit of time off. This nice. this has been a, a very very busy year and mm. uh, yeah and so uh, those are the two ways they can get involved. Uh, in the summer we will or in the spring we'll open back up. We'll have uh, tasting room hours. Uh, things things are fairly slow until May, and then yeah. uh, once it starts in May, we really do suggest a reservation anytime you want to come here, because people t- all tend to want to be here at two o'clock on a Saturday, and it's just not possible. <laughs> it's right, you know, people show up and uh, we're and they have to wait. <laughs> yeah, and they're not happy about that, but uh, yeah, and. Uh, and sometimes people, uh, I won't say they overstay their welcomes, but people will, will hang out for three or four hours. Um, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And we're in the we're in the process. I'm, so I'm working with, uh, I and I have worked with the legislature in the past to uh, change some of the laws. We're trying to change a law to allow uh, selling a bottle of wine so people can share a bottle of wine while they're in so on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is, that yeah. yeah. Every state's different. In, in Massachusetts, you can do that. In New Hampshire, you can't. Uh, there's lots of very uh, different rules here in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is uh, we call a prohibition state. If it if it wasn't made legal after prohibition, it is not. Right. <laughs> so right. so uh, there's a lot of that going. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for this. And that's Apollo Vineyards A P P O L O Vineyards with an S dot com for more info. Um, any 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 other ways that you want people to get in touch or anything like that or is that the best way that's the best way i mean you can always google us see what's going on watch us on facebook or or instagram and awesome. uh, see what we're up to we'll do uh you know that part of part of the i'm saying i'm taking time off we're taking time off out of the tasting room but we'll still be bottling wines through the winter and right yeah. uh, a lot of people ask about specifically certain wines. we have a fortified wine that's made of shiraz that people are asking a lot about uh, we're, we're doing lots of, uh, we do, I, I do lots of red wines in barrel. Uh, we do lots of sparkling wines, uh, lots of still wines of every, every shade. So orange, pink, white, red. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so we're, we're uh, uh, very inclusive in that, in, in our, in our wine <laughs> drinking and making. Sparkling, uh, still, yeah, sparkling all of the above. Still. Yeah, Sweet we have sparkling dry. Pinot Noir, which is red wine, which is surprising nice. most people, yeah. Uh, so a lot of those, a lot of those, all those different ways, um, or just, you know, you can order some wine online. If you're really into the, especially the organic wine, 
or the or you want to see what Brianna tastes like, you can order them online and, and see what they're like. Uh, I love that. I, yeah. I mean, a lot of, uh, we've sent, uh, especially the, the Fireflies won silver medal two, two years in a row. Uh, the, nice. the 2022 is, is not available yet, but it will be probably in the spring. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of war, uh, medal winning wines. So it's, it's, uh, other people will tell me they're good. Not just me. <laughs> no, I enjoyed them very much. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not a bad wine in the bunch. <laughs> Is that enough so. of a backhanded compliment <laughs> uh, to match the? <laughs> yeah. No, they're really, really good. I, again, it, you, your wines were, I, I I was pretty picky with what I tasted at Finnord. Yours were one of them, and I'm glad that it was. Oh, thank, you. Um, thank you. Yeah, no, it was great. And, and I mean, really, like you among, you know, pretty much everything I had just really drove home for me, this idea that like the idea that we're trying to make distinctions between vinifera and hybrids at this point in terms of the market and the quality is just ridiculous. Like, you know, there is no difference in quality. Yeah. It's the, these are, these are as good as anything you can taste anywhere. So, yeah. um, yeah, just delicious wines, uh, oh, thank you. you know, hands uh, like, and full stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, I, I like to tell people that, you know, that, you know, we talk about hybrids of these, these, grapevines that are bred cabernet sauvignon is a is a is a hybrid right um, sauvignon yeah, blanc and cabernet right. franc <laughs> is a hybrid it is bred between yeah. these two vines genetically yeah. we know that to be true right so then don't shake your head because it's a hybrid it's, it's <laughs> right. yeah. they're all hybrids they're all and like people we're all mutts in some at some level right yeah 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 that's good I like that. Well, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate this conversation. Thanks for doing what you're doing too, and uh, keep it up. I, you know, hope to come and check it out in the future right. and and uh, drink at the old barn there. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, you to the Boston area. You know. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you did and would like to support this podcast, please do. There is a Patreon link in the show notes where you can subscribe with a monthly very low subscription to add monetary support or please subscribe on your feed whatever wherever you listen to this podcast subscribe and follow this podcast so that you will automatically download it when each new episode comes out that's one of the few metrics that we can measure to see the support and and listenership of this and Otherwise, if you're already listening, subscribe, support, whatever, uh, just a long-time listener, haven't done anything, please uh, do a review. If you would, any positive review with five stars and a nice word <laughs> is fantastic and helpful and uh, really improves the algorithmic performance of this podcast. So thank you so much.